To speak of a whole society as lacking in mental health implies a controversial assumption contrary to the position of sociological relativism held by most social scientists today. They postulate that each society is normal in as much as it functions, and that pathology can be defined only in terms of the individual's lack of adjustment to the ways of life in his society. To speak of a sane society implies a premise different from sociological relativism. It makes sense only if we assume that there can be a society which is not sane, and this assumption in turn implies that there are universal criteria for mental health which are valid for the human race as such, and according to which the state of health of each society can be judged. This position of normative humanism is based on a few fundamental premises. The species man can be defined not only in anatomical and physiological terms. Its members share basic psychic qualities, the laws which govern their mental and emotional functioning. Welcome to the Rethinking Humanity podcast, where we dive deeper into what makes us human and what causes us to thrive. I'm Lacey Delane. Hi, I'm Sonia Lorea. And we are with you today for episode 26 live on YouTube from Atlanta, Georgia for our episode on can a society be sick? This is going to be a good one. Sonia, how are you doing? Uh, it's kind of been a tough day uh, for me today. Um, I saw you, Lacey, actually last night with some friends and I didn't mention we, there's someone in my family who's elderly, but is... Um, kind of at the last stage of life. So, yeah, so we're kind of dealing with that. But, um, you know, the the good news on that is that she's lived a really, really good life. So I hope I can say the same. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Is she, geographically, is she close by or no? No, she's in Texas. I remember I I took a trip. I don't know, Mm -hmm. I mentioned people. I did a trip to Colorado and Texas. So I did see her. So I feel really happy that I went to see her. Yeah, you know, I really felt moved to go there and visit because I think, you know, that's part of the humanity of each other is recognizing, you know, that we have limited time and do the things we need to do with people around us. Right. Was it um, part of the intentions of your last trip to make sure to see her? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember you mentioning something about that. So, yeah. wow, I'm so sorry. That's not easy. And but it's definitely part of life. So it's part of life. Yes, thank you for sharing, and and of course, we send all the love your way. Thank Um, you. Yeah, that's that's not fun. Well, we we also know that there are folks in India that are hurting pretty bad now as well. Yeah, I um, you know, I mentioned this to you, Lacey. I read an article, and then I was listening to a podcast. I think what's just so sobering is that India is now going through their second wave of COVID. Mm -hmm. And what's struck me about the story is how they really had a handle on it. They, the country, they were doing a really good job um, and started opening up and people felt really comfortable and it hit them. It's, it's like they let their guard down and now the country's just overwhelmed because they don't have um, the equipment, like the breathing, the supplies, like I guess oxygen. Yeah. Um, They don't have the beds. Uh, It's just really sad because that country is, it's very poor country, so they don't even have the resources, of course. And they make the vaccine or one of the vaccines. Yeah. So they're turning to other countries to help them. But the point I was going to make mm-hmm. that you and I spoke with on the phone, Lacey, is 
we're a global world. So what happens everywhere mm -hmm. else ultimately affects us because there's variants that can come out of there. And it's just that we're all interconnected. And we learned that through COVID, right? Yeah. I mean, I think COVID is a perfect example of it. And um, this too, um, I have a connection to what's happening in India. Um, one of my close friends who is in his early 30s, um, I was texting with him last night and he he's from India originally and his family is mostly all still there. He lost a cousin who was younger than him wow. in the last week over there. So it's, oh my gosh. that's another example of how everything's interconnected. And mm -hmm. you know, it's very easy to think that whatever's you know happening on the other side of the globe really doesn't have anything to do with us. Um, doesn't affect us at all, but it's actually so far from the truth. Um, it's And it's a very strong sentiment in our culture that it doesn't, that there's a disconnect. But in mm -hmm. reality, when we slow down and think about it, it really does have a lot to do, you know, with what's going on with us. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. It's, and you make a really good point, Lacey, that we all, um, everything we do, like food we eat, the air we breathe, I mean, our livelihoods, we're all interconnected. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know for those who are just tuning in, you need to check out one of our episodes um, with Amelia Pang, Made in China. Mm -hmm. Another good example of how, you know, we're shopping and we don't think, uh, you know, it's just whatever. We go out and buy something. We don't understand the ramifications of that. Right. Speaking of that, I just started this book. I'm going to throw it out there. It's called, let's see if you can see it. Yeah. Fulfillment, Winning and Losing in One Click America by Alec mm. McGillis. Mm. I wanted to read just two little chapters to mm. kind of give a teaser of what my thoughts are. You okay. mean paragraphs? A paragraph, sorry, sorry not chapters. <laughs> sorry, guys. That would be awesome. I'm sure it'd be good, but we don't have enough time. <laughs> we don't have enough time. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. He worked overnight, four nights a week, typically from 7.15 p.m. to 7.15 a.m. He worked all over the warehouse, stacking boxes in outbound trailers, loading packages onto pallets, and inducting envelopes and packages, which meant standing at the conveyor belts for the entire shift. There were no chairs on the warehouse floor, and transferring hundreds of items per hour from one carousel to another, mm -hmm. while turning them right side up so that scanners could read their codes. He lifted a lot of boxes, some as hef heavy as 50 pounds. The challenge wasn't so much the weight as that you couldn't really tell based on size whether a box was going to be heavy or not when you went to pick it up. Your body and mind never knew what to expect. He wore a back brace for a while, but it would get so hot that he felt like he was being cooked. His elbow tendonitis flared up. He often walked more than a dozen miles per shift. According to his Fitbit, he thought the device must be wrong and got a new pedometer, but it said the same thing. Dang. He put on a topical numbing cream before he went to work, took ibuprofen pills while he was at work, and when he got home, stood on ice packs, put ice on his elbow, and soaked his feet in Epsom salts. Mm. He switched shoes often to spread the impact across the sole. He made fifteen sixty per hour, a fifth of what he was making at the tech job, and infinitely more than what he was making unemployed. That's an Amazon worker. Okay, you can just tell where that's going. Wow, wow. Just reading that like blew me away. You know, this, I can't wait to read this book. I know you're reading it. I'm gonna borrow it from you when you're done. Okay. It's 
this sounds so similar to what we talked about with Amelia Pang. I know. Made in China. It's it's like, it's not as in, intense, but it's the mm -hmm. same thing. I mean, imagine you have to just change shoes eight times, you know, ice your, your whole body just to get through the day and you're only making $15 an hour and you're working overnight. And guess what? Guess what Amazon just reported, New York Times reported oh, tell me. Tell today me. that Amazon made over 8 billion, billion with a B everybody, billion, $8 billion in profit in the first three months of 2021. Okay. The first three months while that guy is suffering. And guess what? How much money are they paying in taxes, guys? Zero. None. That, I texted Sonia this earlier, that right there is criminal. That is, a, that's just gotta be criminal. $8 billion? I know, I know. You texted me and I was like, oh my gosh, I've gotta, I gotta comment on this. And I haven't read the whole book, by the mm -hmm. way, guys, but I, you can see where we're going considering we did a previous episode. Yes. Is our society sane? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. And then you talk about how we don't have, you know, healthcare. Well, how expensive healthcare is. Oh, you say it that way. oh my God. This is like beyond insane. People from other countries look at us like we have four heads. <laughs> Like, you can't make sure that people don't pay $8,000 for their medicine. What? <laughs> it's yeah. crazy. Oh it my is God. crazy. So, so crazy. yeah. Well, I guess we can get into Frome, right? Yeah. Yeah. The only other thing I wanted to add on that yeah. was just that, uh, you know, think of, you know, when, when Yang ran for president, he said, let's do a value added tax on these tech companies. Oh yeah. Think of the, the money that would be generated from a value added tax on $8 billion to fund a universal basic income. It's like, think of the good that can be done to society with yeah. that on $8 billion. It's a no brainer. I yeah, just, I yeah. it seems like, how does that hurt anybody? I, I don't understand why. So that, uh, the big wigs can buy eight more yachts. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I, I, I don't get it, but anyway, all right. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to say one thing before we get into From and Can a Society Be Sick is that I'm very proud. I went in and organized our YouTube <laughs> the last 24 Yay, hours. Thank you, Lacey. You did a great job. Thank you so much. So um, everything is more easy, easily accessible. Season one is... Um, you know, all in one playlist. Season two is all in one playlist. Our bonus content, our interviews, the descriptions are there. So that's pretty cool. Um, and there's also a playlist on of Eric Frome videos. Oh, so yeah. that's, that's cool true. too. That's like cool. if you guys like Frome, you can go in and listen to, there's a couple actually of his books that are on YouTube. Um, but anyway, there's a couple of the uh, videos on that Frome playlist. So just keep an eye out there. And of course, while you're there, subscribe. Um, we want you guys to, uh, you know, of course, follow us on, uh, on YouTube. So check that out. We have Melissa Bernstein coming up, um, from, uh, lifelines and Melissa and Doug toys. And, uh, but we have a date change on that. That's mm -hmm. going to be Friday, May the 21st. Now. Yeah. That's what yeah. I thought. 21st. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So that's going to be uh, at 3 p.m. Um, so just wanted to give everybody a heads up on that. And of course, we have some exciting news that's coming now very, very soon. Right, Sonia? Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, we are very close on our new logo reveal. 
And we have another piece of big news that goes like parallel with that, but we won't get into all that yet, but we just want to tell you we're getting close and we're getting excited. So stay tuned. And none of the content is changing. None of the name of the podcast is not changing. We're just changing our logo, basically. Maybe our colors, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. So just stay tuned. All good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into this. Can a society be sick? So listeners, especially if you're on YouTube with us right now, please feel free to comment. We'd love to see what you have to say, but I want to throw some questions out there for you to ponder as mm -hmm. we do this. This is so foundational. This chapter is so foundational to so much of what we really believe and how we think um, on the podcast, but also to Frome's work. So this chapter I I'm like particularly passionate about. Um, so here's some questions for you to ponder. Do humans have an inherent nature? Can humans be defined in universal terms with regards to our emotional functioning? So basically across cultures, are human beings similar in, uh, in the way that we function emotionally? So something to think about. All right, so let's start. Can a society be sick? So he starts in this chapter with a proposal, well, really with the definition of how most people think of um, sociology and, and the answer to that question um, in society today, which is sociological relativism, which don't get scared by that word. Don't, don't mm -hmm. get, it's totally fine. I'm going to explain it to you. And it's, you know, normally I get scared by big, you know, fancy words. So, so you're not the only one, but basically all it means is that a society is normal in as much as it functions. So if a society is functioning, then it's normal. And so one of the first things that Fromm is saying in this chapter is um, that's kind of like the general MO of how people look at this. Can a society be sick? Well, if a, if a society is functioning, then hey, it's normal. It's, you know, it's fine. Um, and so he's saying, and this is actually the intro that you heard, or intro audio that you heard, um, is the very first part of the chapter here that we're speaking of. Um, so if we're going to talk about having a sane society, that implies um, that, you know, there is something different than sociological relativism. And if we're going to make this assumption, he says, we have to assume that there is some type of criteria for mental health that's universal. Mm -hmm. and so, um, so, so, you know, okay. So sorry, I lost my train of thought here. So <laughs> <laughs> according to the state of health of each society can be judged. So basically we need to know um, if there's universal mental health criteria and that is how we can judge a society if sociological relativism is not actually a thing. Right, right. Um, yeah, this beginning part of this chapter is very interesting. Um, I like the fact, everything you're saying, yeah, of course, uh, I picked on that, on the sociological relativism, just like you said, the definition is each society is normal in as much as it functions. That definition is very interesting in as much as it functions. If we think about it, yeah, you could be functioning. That doesn't mean it's normal. That doesn't right. mean it's healthy, which is something that Fromm's going to attack. What I like that he also says is that many social scientists mm -hmm. assume that man's mental constitution is a blank piece of paper. Like it's just, yeah. that's the way it is. And 
Fromm's going to push back on that. And he mm -hmm. does not agree with that, that viewpoint. Um, mm -hmm. And so he does get into that. Uh, and then he says, the real problem is to infor, infer the core common to the whole human race from the mm -hmm. innumerable manifestations of human nature, the normal as well as the pathological ones, yep. as we can observe them in different individuals and cultures. Right. So obviously he's saying, based on his studies and experience as a sociologist and as a psychologist, that there is a way to define our um, human um, nature when it comes to an emotional and a uh, mental health quality, if you will. And mm -hmm. so what he's saying is, or there's human nature. So what he's saying is, look, this is something just like there's human nature, biologically speaking, there's human nature, emotionally speaking. And we don't have a lot of details about what that is yet. But what you just read, the task is, is we need to figure out what that human nature is when it comes to emotion, emotions and human needs. And I think it's easy to say, well, yeah, but I don't think we have a, an emotional human nature. Yeah, but we've seen studies of um, infants who die if they don't get touch. Right, right. Or, or love. And so that is an emotional need that every human being has. Sure. That That is a universal thing. So I do think that there's plenty of pushback to that, um, to that position. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I also like uh, where he says the, the task is furthermore to recognize the laws inherent in human nature and the inherent goals for its development and unfolding. Yes, yes. And then later he says that there's mental health. I love this. I've actually put this on Instagram. Mental health is achieved if man develops into full maturity according to the characteristics and laws of human nature. Mental illness consists mm -hmm. in the failure of that development. And, and it's all based on, and he says this at the end of the chapter, the needs of man. So knowing what our needs are as a human being and being able to judge or interpret or, or observe whether the society is set up in a way that accommodates those needs. Right, right. And I mean, of course, we're drilling down here to like, the basics of what you know has to be there in order to be able to make this argument sure and, sure right go, ahead, go um, ahead he also says that i like man as he appears in any given culture is always a manifestation of human nature a manifestation this is really powerful however which in its specific outcome is determined by the social arrangements which he lives yes so he ties that in that it's a manifestation of human nature. This is, it's, it's created by the outcome is determined by the social arrangements under which he lives. And then he goes on to say, just as the infant is born with all human potentialities, which are to develop under favorable social and cultural conditions. So the human race in the process exactly. of history develops into what it potentially is. Right. It's huge. Yeah. And he, he's saying too, that there's a, um, total existence of man. Um, some, some parts of it 
conducive to health and happiness, others to sickness and unhappiness. And any given social order does not create these fundamental strivings, but determines, I love this, which of the limited number of potential passions are to become manifest or dominant. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's huge. I mean, if you think about it, if society is set up in a way that or culture, or we can even just boil it down to a group. If there's a group of people and the group is like, hey, we're going to be nice to each other. We're going to compliment each other every time we see each other. The mm-hmm. first thing we see each other is we're going to be a comp- you know, compliment. That's going to shape the person in the group in a way that's different than if everybody said we're going to say something negative <laughs> to each other every time we absolutely, come. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. 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 I mean, it's it's deceptive. He's. I know you're probably going to be talking here about the normative humanism, but what's deceptive, like kind of you're bringing up the members of society, is how we have this idea that this is a consensual validation of everyone. Yeah. And he does talk about that, you know, and we talked about this a lot before, the fact that there's millions of people that are doing one thing doesn't make it a virtue. Um, yeah. You know, that, that we're all going along believing or doing the same patterns here. Yeah, the pushback might be, well, but everybody's doing the same thing. And and you can't, nobody's like, you know, manifesting like crazy ways of being crazy. You know, everything, everybody else is doing the same thing. Well, just because everybody else is doing the same thing and they're not like having nervous breakdowns, well, some people are, but Mm -hmm. in plain sight, uh, that doesn't mean that it's, it's sane. It's like if everybody jumps off the bridge, are you going to jump off the bridge? Yeah, <laughs> like, and and I think yeah, we have to look at it like he's saying with the mental pathology. I mean, because everyone is doing something, we've talked about it on our podcast a lot. Whether it's being on your cell phone or shopping or whatever, that doesn't mean it's sane, and it actually points to a degree of insanity because it's a way to escape. Mm-hmm. And it brings us back to that whole idea of the isolation and alienation, and so. You're wanting yeah. to do what everyone else is doing. And that from does, you know, that's a lot of his, of his themes also. I was reading a little bit of the revolution of hope last night. And um, there's a part, I actually put this on Instagram, but it says compulsive consumption is a compensation for anxiety. And I was like, oh my God. I mean, <laughs> it just reminds me of our conversation on sane consumption and why that's necessary because it's a way like you're saying to distract yourself from the inner anxiety that Mm -hmm. we're all feeling right absolutely super crazy uh love the revolution of hope that's a good one um so yeah he's saying it's true we don't have a full understanding of what human nature is and and it's important for us to continue to research and arrive at the appropriate description of man in this respect. And other people have said, but, oh, but, you know, human nature is is malleable and the mm-hmm. environment impacts it. And Fromm says, hey, that's true. But it lacks truth in the assumption that there's not any kind of intrinsic quality of human nature on its own, apart from some society molding and shaping it. And so I can absolutely see the differences there of what he's talking about. They're saying, yeah, but human nature is so malleable and people can change and and people um, are swayed by certain things. And he says, yes, but that doesn't mean we don't have any kind of a basic intrinsic um, mental and emotional nature. 
Yeah, I I got, and this is later in the chapter, but I'll just, well, I know we'll skip around. I got that he claims that um, humans were very adaptable and we can kind of deal with any situation, like the worst and the best. That, that doesn't mean, uh, he says that that doesn't mean, mean that we're not going to react and that we don't eventually react to like, say, an inhumane treatment or something that's happening in our lives, which we might be reaching that point actually in our society now. So mm -hmm. the reality is even though we are so malleable, that doesn't take away really what our, what our true nature is. Right. You know? Right. And that doesn't mean that there isn't a true nature, you know, like, of course there's, there's a true nature. I, I know that there, I've heard a lot of, uh, from academics, I have heard a lot of pushback to this idea that there is a human nature in general, um, but specifically like emotionally and mentally. Um, and of course, like I agree with Rome, I'm not saying that we've got all the research and, and all the information, but I think um, there's there's some evidence that shows that that, that it is the case, that there's mm -hmm. um, certain certain things that provide for a thriving or an aliveness for each individual in a mental or an emotional way and certain things that don't. And um, to the extent that we accommodate one or the other determines how healthy or how alive people are going to be in a certain society. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, one of the things in the chapter that he talks about too is the uh, defect and neurosis, yes. um, which is really interesting to me. He says, if a person fails to attain freedom, spontaneity, a genuine expression of self, he may be considered to have a severe defect, provided we assume that freedom and spontaneity are the objective goals to be attained by every human being. If such a goal is not attained by the majority of members of any given society, we deal with the phenomenon of socially patterned defect. Yeah. And what that means, I think, and tell me mm -hmm. what you think, Sonia, how I hear that is like, whenever that defect is so widespread, mm -hmm. so there's so many people that have it, then it becomes a socially patterned thing. Right. And um, that very defect could be raised as a virtue in the culture, as a virtue, because everybody mm -hmm. has that same defect. And right. so I think that's really fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I think we see that. I, I'd love to hear if you can think of any examples, but I think um, the anxiety is is one of them. You know, living the in defect, this state. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I was yeah, just saying, no. the defect of being greedy, of obtaining wealth. Mm. Okay, mm. that has been raised to be a virtue. Right, right. Uh, ambition, even, in a way. Ambition, yeah, that's a good being one. Ambition, yeah. like especially as someone who's young and single, like people will say, well, are, is he ambitious? I'm like, <laughs> you know, like that's something that you're supposed to find in a, in a, you know, in a partner, it's like an ambitious quality. And the thing is, is I'm like, I want to have a work-life balance. I want to, you know, enjoy life and have a good quality relationship. And so, yeah, I, I think the um, striving for more and more and more, is a value, but it's also, it's a defect. It's actually a defect. Greed, that's what's at the root of all these major problems. Mm -hmm. Talking about linking back to Amelia Pang, linking back to this Amazon book that you're talking about, linking back to the talker stuff that we talked about last week, linking back to the palliative care, 
that we talked about last is week. all goes back. And but if you think about it in normal, you know, our culture, if you addressed it, the average person would think, hmm, what's wrong with getting ahead? What's wrong, you know, with getting that brass ring of making, you know, all the money and kind of it's elevated, you know, we've elevated that in a culture because we associate that with, you know, you're successful, you're doing well, you're mentally healthy, which is, we know is not the case, you know, that you've sort of have this level of achievement, which I think Fromm would say, yeah, that is showing a defect. You know, that reminds me of what we talked about at the beginning with the India stuff, that we're all connected. And it's mm -hmm. almost like people think, okay, well, if I'm, if I function from a place of greed and I'm making all this money and this is, you know, how I'm living my life, that's not affecting anyone else. But we're seeing through this yeah. example, yeah. it is. Right. And I think that's what's sort of like we're pulling back the curtain because we can't, we can only, you know, you can't live in this bubble or sort of hidden and thinking that what you do every day doesn't affect, you know, every choice you're making. As we know, there's so many things we could talk about here, but everything right. and things we purchase, you know, things that we do, how we are with the environment, how we are with each other, it all, it all is interrelated. Mm -hmm. And until we understand that and the level of insanity that is, <laughs> then we can't begin to unravel that. Right, right. You know, he he pulls, he speaks of a, an example of, um, certain uh, religious doctrines who make people feel like they have to, they're very unworthy and they're powerless mm -hmm. and they have to be worried about whether they're going to be saved or not. And that right there is a value. It's a positive thing within the community that, you know, mm -hmm. religious community, but it's a defect and it's a defect that causes that person to continue to go back to that same community and get the approval and need the, it's, it's insane. See what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's a, he's, he's drawing the line there between that situation and kind of how we're living today. Right. And it's so, I think that what we don't realize when you bring up the, um, the, the doctrine, it's just so embedded. That's the word I was looking for in the culture. Yeah. Um, for instance, in the U.S., uh, we talked about it a little bit yesterday. It's the Protestant work ethic. Um, there's these values, even if you're not religious, but you've learned sort of from the culture and from people around you that this is like a good thing. This is a good thing that, you know, I'm killing myself to go to work every day. I worked, you know, 15 hours. I sacrificed. There's this element of, you know, sort of like a martyr <laughs> kind right. of uh, person, you know. And mm -hmm. that's something that I don't think we realize, even if you verbally say, I disagree with that. But if you hear that message enough, it's in there, you know, it's in like the brain. Yes. Yes. And that message is stomped into our brain from <laughs> kindergarten through <laughs> college. I mean, that's what we are here for. Yeah. And, and that's not the case in every country and every society. But in the U.S., man, we are here to get a job. If you don't have a job, you're a loser. You're a <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're a loser, people. <laughs> yeah. But that's kind of like the whole point of everything, which is right. interesting and an interesting connection to what he he says here. He says today, because this is what that kind of a lifestyle 
produces. He mm-hmm. says, today we come across a person who acts and feels like an automaton, who oh never God. experiences anything which is really his will. Before I keep reading this, let's try to explain what an automaton is. How would you explain it, Sonia? It would be typical, uh, I like a robot, like a, a person that's just, you know. On autopilot. Autopilot, yeah. the motions. Yeah. He says, today we come across a person who acts and feels like an automaton, who never experiences anything which is really his. Think, Just think about this while I'm reading it. And just think if you might be able to observe this in anyone's everyday life. Who experiences himself entirely as the person he thinks he is supposed to be. Whose artificial smile has replaced genuine laughter. Whose meaningless chatter has replaced communicative speech. How many times do couples talk and talk and talk, but they never fucking communicate? (laughs) Come on. Old despair has taken the place of genuine pain. I mean, that's just so powerful right there. Yes. I don't know. Yeah, no, that, that is. I mean, what you're reading, I think anyone hears this has either A, experienced this personally or been with someone who's being an automaton. I mean, I think it's, it's actually very common. Right. Very common. Which is why I think the, the variety for us as humans is so important because when we do the same thing every single day, it's very hard to not live like an automaton. And that is like, well, at least in, in generations past, like you are just super awesome if you have a job and you stayed in that job for decades. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. You know, um, what he goes on to say that it's, it's really cool is that for most of them, the culture provides patterns which enable them to live with a defect without becoming ill. So the culture that we live in in actually provides us remedies. So what I believe he is saying there is that, you know, the cultural pattern, whatever, whatever is acceptable in the culture, we're all going along with. And so one does not feel as if one is ill. You feel like you're going along with the pack, that this is the the norm. And that's, that's where you create the, you know, insane society. It's hidden to everyone, Mm -hmm. but it's there. Exactly. Yeah. And he continues to say that uh, two statements can be made about this person. One is that he suffers from a defect of spontaneity and individuality, which may seem incurable. How many times have we said, man, I want some more spontaneity in my life? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? At the same time, it may be said that he does not differ essentially from millions of others who are in the same position. And Fromm makes a very strong argument in other writings that we think we have some of these opinions. Like we think we have certain opinions, but they're actually culturally uh, washed. Like we think that we think that, but we actually only think that because it's what we've been told over. It's the brainwash of the culture. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, he, he goes on and I know we've talked about this before uh, in another uh, realm, maybe now today with the internet, that what happens if we take away in our Western culture, all these things that we use for escapism, he talks about movies, radio, television, we could throw internet in there. Yeah. This is so funny. He says, um, he has no doubt that in the short time of, this would be for four weeks, by the way, thousands of nervous breakdowns would occur. Yes. And 
that's going to pull back. He's pulled back the curtain behind all the anxiety that, that all these things help us to escape. Mm-hmm. He says opiate against the socially patterned defect were withdrawn. The manifest illness would make its appearance. Ugh. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. Without a movie, without Netflix, without Instagram, without the internet, take away the internet. Yeah. People are going to lose their minds. It's not, they're going to lose their minds. It's the, the lostness of their minds is revealed. (laughs) All the other stuff is helping us suppress it. You know, I think we're all, we've all been, we're used to the dopamine hit because we're all in the, you know, we're in the digital culture now, which Mm -hmm. is something that we've obviously addressed in here. So from would probably have a field day with the cell phones today. Right. Oh my gosh. It'd be interesting to see what he would say. Oh yeah. About it. The other thing that's cool about this chapter is he does mention that Freud was actually um, supportive of this idea that a society can be sick. Um, and wrote about it in civilization and its discontent. And mm-hmm. so I don't really think I want to read what he wrote, what Freud wrote, but mm-hmm. But I think it's worth noting um, that Freud echoed yeah. this, or I guess it would be Frome echoing Freud, but Freud was someone who, who could see this. And he is arguably the father of some, you know, father of psychology, modern psychology, whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I do think it's a good point. And I know earlier in the podcast I brought up, um, which we're at in this chapter now, I brought up the part about man reacting to mm-hmm. – um, his environment or to, to what's going on around him. And I think this is very, very powerful because I think it fits today what we're living in our world. It says, which reaction occurs depends on many factors, economic and political ones, and on the spiritual climate in which people live. Mm -hmm. But whatever the reactions are, the statement that man can live under almost any condition is only half true. Mm. It must be supplemented by the other statement that if he lives under conditions which are contrary to his nature and to the basic requirements for human growth and sanity, he cannot help reacting. He must either deteriorate and perish or bring about conditions which are more in accordance with his needs. I love that because that's where where we are today. What what page are you on, sister? 19. 19. 19. Okay. It's above your civilization and discontent. Okay. Okay. Cool. Uh, wow. It's only half true. It must be supplemented by other states that if he lives under conditions that are contrary, I love this contrary to his nature and to the basic requirements for human growth and sanity. Mm-hmm. I think I believe this. And I think from would say this, that a society is insane to the extent that it keeps human beings from growing. Yes, that's a good one. Yeah. I think that that would be it. I mean, of course, he would also say, you know, that it doesn't allow for the human needs to be met. Mm-hmm. Okay, now let's put this in a whole different scenario and see if we might be able to think about it a little bit differently, if, if we're not convinced yet. Let's say we're talking about a specific animal. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, if a specific, if we were going to, create a space for some specific animals to be and to, for us to have them in a specific space. And we're going to have these animals there for them to just be, mm-hmm. what would we do? 
in order for them to be able to do that? Well, we'd have to create an environment that they're going to flourish. Right. They need all the necessary uh, things that an animal would need. Right. We would have to meet their needs. Right. Otherwise Mm -hmm. they're going to die. Right. Okay. We are a species. We Mm -hmm. are animals. We are humans. Yes. We are highly evolved animals, but we are certainly animals. We are a species and we forget that. I think it's so easy to forget that because of technology, right? how we're living our lives now. Well, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, we've moved so far away from our nature, I believe, mm-hmm. the true inherent nature because of all these other things, the culture and the, the, the fact that we have to work and the fact that, you know, we're told this, whether it's fame or money or being the best at something or the outfit you wear. I mean, go on and on. The list is endless, right? So we've mm-hmm. lost, I think, touch with that nature of who who we are and what we need, what we truly need. Mm-hmm. We've been told you want this, right? <laughs> so there we go. We've been told you need this, but it really right. hasn't been what we needed, right? Right, yeah. I want because I supposedly need. That's yeah. the thing. I yeah. want that, you know, I want the latest whatever, you know, I want, I don't know, the latest candle. <laughs> <laughs> right. You need a new iPhone. You need a new computer. Right. You have to right. have a nice car that's not, you know, paid for. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Interesting. And so, I mean, I think, you know, it's, I don't know, it's super interesting. So, he says that his book, this, and what we're going to do in season two is we're mm-hmm. going to venture upon the research about what is human nature. Mm-hmm. Um, what is a society that's not sick? Um, of course, we feel like today we've determined, yes, a society can be sick. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he says uh, this book and, and our conversations in, in season two are going to be based on the idea that a sane society is that which corresponds to the needs of man. Uh, what his needs are objectively, as they can be ascertained by the study of man. Mm-hmm. Our first task then, to ascertain what is the nature of man and what are the needs which stem yeah. from the nature. So that's yeah. why the whole human nature thing is really important because yeah. we got to know what our nature is to know what our needs, needs are. are. Yeah raise a bunch of monkeys without knowing what their needs were because they were not going to survive if we didn't meet their needs. We are a bunch of humans. We have certain needs. And if we are going to survive and thrive, we need to know what those needs are. Absolutely. Yes. We must then proceed to examine the role of society in the evolution of man. So this part is quite interesting to me. Examine the role of society in the evolution of man. That's cool. Mm -hmm. And study its furthering role for the development of men as well as the Recurrent conflicts Conflicts. between human nature and society and the consequences of these conflicts, particularly as far as modern society is concerned. And modern society, folks, when he wrote this was 1955. Right. So, yeah, I think that's a really good. I was going to say the same thing, um, Lacey, nature of man and what are the needs which stem from this nature? So perfect. Yeah. Yes, I love that. I think that nails it. I think that's like the bedrock of our podcast, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah, it is. It is. And that's what um, 
I mean, from what I was going to throw out here for everybody who's listening, you don't have to necessarily agree with Fromm. I mean, he his writings were in one ear, but he has very timely, important things to say. And I believe we as a culture need to listen to him. But we would love to hear uh, if you have a different thought or you read someone else that maybe challenges that because it's always fun to kind of look at both sides. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we definitely, I think we read this resonates with me. Mm -hmm. I think it resonates with you. That doesn't mean like Eric Frome is the end all be all he does. We should just agree with everything he says. No, that's not what I'm saying. I don't think that's what you're saying. But I do think that there's some very insightful things here yes. that would be repressed or maybe was repressed or have been repressed because it doesn't fit in very well with a capitalistic you know, yeah, insanely capitalistic, consumptive-based, consumption-based society, you know? And so I do think there's some things here that are really important that we could all benefit from thinking about. The other thing that I think that I thought about when I was reading The Revolution of Hope last night, Sonia, was what, because he, he writes again about some of the things that we talked about in earlier episodes from To Have or To Be about, like, how do we get there to a being mode-based society? sane consumption, humanistic management. Those are all things that we've talked about on past episodes. And I thought to myself, wow, he wrote this stuff 50s, 60s, 70s, these three books between the three of them. I wonder what, how, how things would be different now if, if some of those ideas would have been taken into consideration and some changes would have been made. Like to me, Sonia, I wonder what you think about this, but like it's really hard I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's much harder to make those changes now than it would have been in the 50s. Because look how deep we are now into technology, into our our ways of life with capitalism and um, uncontrolled, unfettered capitalism. Yeah, uh, we'll have to see. Because I think one of the things that Fromm looked at in previous uh, chapters that we reviewed in To Have or To Be was government playing a role. And I would say right now there's a high distrust of government. Um, so there be need to be there needs to be a dismantling. But what I think I will say is that we are at a point, I, I, it's gonna sound pretty dramatic. It's kind of a do or die. We're either gonna get our act together, which I know you'd use another word, Lacey. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind saying those words. I know. Uh, or we're not. I mean, this is kind of an existential uh, moment, I think, in humanity. And that's why I think Frome is so good because he speaks to those really hard topics mm -hmm. um, that we need to be, everyone needs to be talking about it. Now you may come up with a different solution, right. but you need to have these, que these questions need to be addressed. Yes. This is a conversation that needs to be had for sure. Awesome. Well, okay. thank you guys for being with us. Um, remember to subscribe to us on YouTube Check out all of our cool, newly organized YouTube videos. We're Yay, excited about that. Yay! <laughs> and uh, come hang out with us on May the 21st with Melissa Bernstein. That's going to be powerful. Um, we're really looking forward to that. And we have a new logo we're going to re reveal soon. Yay! Yay. So that's going to be fun. Thank, thank you for Victor behind the scenes. Yes. And thank you to Victor. You're killing it back there, buddy. Always follow him on Clubhouse, guys. He's on Clubhouse. Oh, yeah. We're still gonna do some in, some like experimentation with with Clubhouse audio, but he's Victor Wayne Ho at on Clubhouse at Victor Wayne W A I N H O. Check him out on Clubhouse, 
And if anybody's joining us from Clubhouse because they heard him in Clubhouse, hi. And thank you. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, have a great Friday afternoon. Have a great weekend. And we'll see you next week on the Rethinking Humanity podcast. Bye. Fromm's The Sane Society is based on the idea that a sane society is that which corresponds to the needs of man, what his needs are objectively, as they can be ascertained by the study of man. It is our first task, then, to ascertain what is the nature of man and what are the needs which stem from this nature. We then must proceed to examine the role of society in the evolution of man and to study its furthering role for the development of men as well as the recurrent conflicts between human nature and society and the consequences of these conflicts, particularly as far as modern society is concerned.